From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this uh, Wednesday edition, the top presidential candidates on the Democratic Party squared off last night one last time before next month's all-important Iowa caucus. The Democrats have to do better than what we saw tonight. There was nothing I saw tonight that would be able to take Donald Trump out. And that was uh, former Obama administration member Van Jones, a CNN contributor, commenting on the lackluster field. Terry Jeffrey, editor-in-chief of CNS News, joins me in just a moment for a look at last night's debate. And Nancy Pelosi has selected the House managers for the Senate impeachment trial, which begins next week. House Judiciary member Congressman Greg Stubbe joins me with the latest from Capitol Hill a little bit later. I'll also ask him about a measure he introduced yesterday designed to protect women and girls in sports. Also, Open Doors USA was on Capitol Hill earlier today, releasing their 2020 World Watch List on religious persecution. What are the latest trends? Dr. David Curry, president of Open Doors, joins me here in studio later on Washington Watch. And what's wrong with American boys? That's the topic of a piece by Dan Hart, managing editor of publications here at the Family Research Council. The article was prompted by a growing number of reports focused on the cultural crisis among males. We're going to talk about that later here on Washington Watch. You won't want to miss that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. Last night, CNN, in partnership with the Des Moines Moines Register, uh, hosted the first Democratic presidential debate in 2020 and the last debate prior to the all-important Iowa caucus, which plays a uh, major role in winnowing out the presidential candidates. Now, this caucus takes place on February the 3rd. Are we seeing movement among the candidates? Is there a candidate or two that are breaking out of the left-lurching pack? Joining me now is CNS News Editor-in-Chief Terry Jeffrey. Uh, Terry, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me on. All right. So uh, any standouts last night in uh, the debate? Are, are you there with Van Jones saying that uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot lacking here? I, I am with Van Jones. Uh, if I were probably the only time. Probably one of the few times. <laughs> but he's right politically. I think... Uh, The Democrats are positioning themselves way too far to the left. And uh, if I were President Trump watching that debate, I'd be very happy to see these Democrats arguing over who has the most extreme socialistic Medicare plan. And uh, I I think that, um, you know, there is an interesting trend in recent polls. A few weeks ago, Pete Buttigieg was actually leading in the most recent polls in Iowa and New Hampshire. Now Biden has pulled ahead. So I think a lot of Democrats, particularly in Iowa and Hampshire, were starting to look at their own field of candidates, looking at Bernie Sanders, looking at Buttigieg, looking at Elizabeth Warren, and and thinking, you know what, this isn't viable. So they started to move towards Biden, who they think that because he's he's such a long veteran politician and was Obama's vice president, might have a better chance of actually getting elected. Well, I, I might have to, to question whether or not that is true in terms of Biden being able to go the distance to get elected. But I think you're well, right. Well, I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about their perception. No, no, no I, 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 I get it. I'm kind of tongue in cheek there. But the, the reality <laughs> is this is what happens, you know, when you've got the luxury of a lot of time, you toy with novelty. 
uh, and that's what uh, many of these candidates have been in terms of their um, uh, trying to uh, play to the, the, the Democratic Party's extreme left base. Uh, but when reality sets in, I was more mainstream America in many ways, and I think they're looking for, uh, you know, responsible candidates that they think could possibly lead the party forward. So I think you're right. The only one in that batch is Joe Biden, and that's not saying a lot. No, it's not saying a lot because, as you're suggesting, Biden himself is a very weak candidate. He's run for president numerous times. He's never been able to get there on his own. I, I think he doesn't I, – I don't think where he stands on the issues is is really that modern. It's actually very much to the left. It's just not as extreme as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And, you know, Tony, I, th- I think on a couple of I- issues that – President Trump helped President Trump win uh, in 2016. Some of the Democrats are trying to basically follow in his footsteps. I think on foreign policy, the fact that he was against the United States being involved in endless wars, particularly in the Middle East, and the fact that he was a hawk on trade are issues where the Democratic candidates are trying to be like him because I think that they know that their base likes those issues, and I think they also work with swing voters, particularly in the northern Midwest. But on some other key issues that helped Trump bring swing voters, they didn't even talk about them in the debate last, last night, like securing the border, enforcing the immigration laws, getting our immigration policy in order, and also the social issues right, about abortion. Right. They don't yeah, talk that was, at all was, about abortion. That was fascinating to me. Uh, I mean, I, I understand it being heavily focused on foreign policy and the military, given what's happening uh, in Iran, in Iraq, and, and all of that. I get that, understand that. But there was not a mention, unless I missed it. Uh, you know, I, I did have to try to keep myself awake. But it, it, unless I missed, missed it, there was no discussion of, um, of course, they don't use the term abortion. It's reproductive rights. But there was no discussion of that because there's such a clear contrast with the president on that. And, and it's a loser among the voters they need to get in Iowa. So I'm not totally surprised by that. On religious freedom. Another place where this administration has been leading out front, the only candidate that even came close uh, was Mayor Pete to touch on that. I want to play a clip of, uh, of what he talked about taking on the president as it pertained to the issue of religion. Uh, the Buttigieg uh, clip number two, please. If a guy like Donald Trump keeps trying to use religion to somehow recruit Christianity into the GOP, <clears throat> I will be standing there not afraid to talk about a different way to answer the call of faith and insist that God does not belong to a political party. I've got my thoughts on on that, but I want to get yours first, Terry Jeffrey. Okay, Tony. Uh, Well, first of all, I, I agree God doesn't belong to a political party, but God certainly has moral rules which he has informed us about through the Bible, and also, I believe, also through the natural law, which we can understand through reason alone. And on both counts, uh, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, has a real problem, because I'll put it very bluntly. He is, as we all know, a practicing homosexual. He's married to another man. Now, there's absolutely no way you can reconcile homosexual behavior and two people of the same sex marrying one another with the natural law, let alone the Gospels. We know what St. Paul had to say about it, and we know what uh, Genesis had to say, what happened to Sodom. 
And uh, so you have this guy pretending to be a righteous Christian who is publicly flouting a a form of behavior that for millennia has been recognized to be immoral. And I, I tell you, Tony, just before I came on the air, I went back and I took a look at a uh, Supreme Court decision that uh, the majority decision was written by Byron White back in 1986. He was a Jack Kennedy appointee, Democratic appointee to the Supreme Court. A concurring opinion was written by Chief Justice Warren Burger, who was no flaming conservative, but wasn't a Republican nominee. This was in Bauer v. Hardwick, which the court decided in 1986. And the question there was whether the state of Georgia could constitutionally have a law that prohibited same-sex sodomy. And this is what Warren Berger said about it. He said, quote, I joined the court's opinion, but I write separately to underscore my view that in constitutional terms, there is no such thing as a fundamental right to commit homosexual sodomy. As the court notes... Berger continued, the prescriptions against sodomy have very ancient roots. Decisions of individuals relating to homosexual conduct have been subject to state intervention throughout the history of Western civilization. Condemnation of those practices is firmly rooted in Judeo-Christian moral and ethical standards. And then Berger said, quote, to hold that the act of homosexual sodomy is somehow protected as a fundamental right would be to cast aside millennia of moral teaching. 34 years ago, that's what the Supreme Court was declaring in the United States. Unfortunately, just 17 years after that in Lawrence v. Texas, the court declared that exactly what Berger said Western civilization had condemned from the start was now somehow a right under the U.S. Constitution. And when they did that, Antonin Scalia, who was a brilliant justice, correctly predicted that it would lead to the court approving same-sex marriage, and he suggested after that it would be bigamy. Well, so what has happened? We've got Obergefell. We've got the same-sex marriage. Now we have Mayor Buttigieg running for president, flaunting for the nation his same-sex marriage. And we're all supposed to be quiet and polite about it rather than point out that this guy is a scandal. Well, and some, uh, Terry, would say that just quoting the Supreme Court decision, the opinion that you just read, would be hate speech by challenging the fact that – uh, the mayor is morally challenged uh, to be up there and to, to quote scripture as that. And I, but I want to take on the issue he said uh, about Republicans using religion to recruit evangelicals. Actually, it's the Democratic Party that is using religion to drive people out of the Democratic Party because they've become <laughs> so hostile to faith. And, and, and that's why, really, Mayor Pete's kind of an anomaly talking about faith, of course, twisting it and misusing it. But the, the Democratic Party, as you'll recall, back in what was it? Uh, what year was it? 2012, when they voted uh, God out of the platform, um, their platform. I mean, th- this is this has become endemic of this party that is hostile to people of faith. So why why are they surprised that they are flocking to a president and to a party that is celebrating religious freedom and the exercise of it? They shouldn't be. And I, I think truly what we're seeing is 
a culture war in this country that goes to the very moral foundations of freedom. And I think eventually history, what it will remember most about President Barack Obama's term, term in office was not the Affordable Care Act that they talked so much about last night, but one element of the Affordable Care Act, which was issued by a regulation where they said that literally every health care plan in the United States was going to have to cover uh, contraceptives and abortion-inducing drugs and devices, meaning every Christian in this country that objected to the deliberate killing of innocent, unborn life would be forced to act against their conscience on that profound an issue, the taking of a human life by the federal government. And the Democrats, led by President Obama, with Joe Biden being his loyal lieutenant, fought that one all the way to the Supreme right. Court to right. force people to act against their conscience. So I think, you know, how much more profound can an issue get than that? I don't think it can. So this is a very fundamental battle we're fighting in America today. Yeah, and I think that what the Democrats are facing this time is something that they've not seen prior to Donald Trump. That is a candidate in the general election running as the Republican nominee who are, is not going to put those issues on the back burner, is not going to drop the contrast between the two parties and the two worldviews. No, he, he won't. And, and they are winning issues. They're particularly winning issues with the swing vote in the key states that Donald Trump won. And, you know, it's, it's, it's ironic. Bernie Sanders was pointing out how Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. She did. But you know why? Because she won states like New York and California by massive margins. She didn't right. win those swing states. Absolutely. Terry Jeffrey, as always, great to have you uh, stop by on the program. Thank you, Tony. All right, uh, folks, you can find out more about Terry and uh, CNS News, which is a great resource. Go to TonyPerkins.com or CNSNews.com. Uh, it's one of the sources I use, so it's a, it's a good uh, good resource for you. All right, coming up next, Nancy Pelosi has selected the seven House managers that will play prosecutor in the Senate trial, which starts next week. We'll talk about it with Florida Congressman Brad Stubbe, a uh, Greg Stubbe, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, and we'll talk about the legislation that he has introduced to protect girls in sports. That's next on Washington Watch. Number one. Join FRC Live via webcast for the 15th annual Pro-LifeCon Digital Action Summit. On January 24th from FRC's headquarters in Washington, you'll hear from political leaders, bloggers, journalists, and activists who will share how they view social media and other digital tools to further the pro-life message. You'll be empowered to better reach your own communities by learning best practices from those who are at the cutting edge of the digital pro-life movement. Tune in Friday, January 24th at 8 a.m. at ProLifeCon.com. We all need to be lectured sometimes. Family Research Council's new podcast features selected talks by top thinkers from the archives of the FRC Speaker Series. Our podcast podium takes on tough issues like religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture, all from a biblical worldview. Listen with us to the lecture, then stick around afterward as we break down the content. The Lecture Me podcast is available wherever podcasts are found. Or visit FRC.org slash podcasts. Ever hear the term toxic masculinity? Hello, this is Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council. Masculinity is under attack in our culture. The American Psychological Association released guidelines declaring traditional masculinity ideology as harmful. 
Brown University, an Ivy League school, offered a course, Unlearning Toxic Masculinity, explaining that rigid definitions of masculinity are toxic to men's health. And a University of Texas class, Masculine UT, treated masculinity as if it were a mental health crisis. Thankfully, the culture does not have the last word on true masculinity. God does. Our Stand Courageous Men's Conferences offer biblical solutions to the crisis of manhood. We seek to help men develop character, cultivate habits, build relationships, and make commitments that will move them closer to God's design. Check out StandCourageous.com for an event in your area. That's StandCourageous.com. What other trip? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, earlier today, Nancy Pelosi selected the seven House managers that will serve as the uh, the prosecutors in the uh, the Senate trial of President Trump, uh, which starts next week. Well, joining me now to talk about that and a measure just introduced to protect women's sports is Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe, a member of the House Judiciary Committee who represents the 17th District. Uh, he is an Army veteran, currently serves on uh, the Oversight and Reform Committee, as well as the judiciary. Uh, Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Yeah, thanks for having me. So any surprises by the uh, selection of the uh, the seven that Nancy Pelosi uh, announced earlier today? There was a few. I mean, I obviously figured that Nadler and Schiff would be uh, managers, but uh, Val Demings was a surprise. Um, and uh, the gentleman from Colorado was also a surprise. Uh, I don't he he's not on judiciary oversight. Maybe he's on foreign affairs. But um, the freshman from Colorado uh, was also kind of a surprise. Now, I think he's an uh, an army veteran, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I think that might be, I'm not sure the appeal there. Um, but Probably, yeah. I mean, my guess, because I was thinking of that through that too, would be they need a younger face. I mean, I'm you know you're looking at the press conference right now, and you can see Schiff, Engel, Pelosi, and Nadler. <laughs> you got to breathe a little youth into the to the photograph, I guess. So that would be my. Well, guess I'm wondering if they're trying. Younger. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it, and I'm wondering if it's part with the Ukraine military uh, uh, defense spending that was there, or the the allocation, whether or not they're trying to make an issue uh, out of that. My my take is it's going to be some heavy lifting. Uh, that's why all the screaming about wanting more witnesses because they just don't have the information or any kind of evidence to present a compelling case. Well, and what's so crazy about that is you're now going to complain about fairness when for an entire year you denied the Republicans the ability to call the witnesses that we wanted to call. You denied our ability in closed-door hearings to go down the line of questioning we wanted to go down. You denied the ability for the president to call witnesses. You denied the ability for his counsel to cross-examine witnesses. All of these things happen in every other impeachment in the history of our nation. So now the Democrats and Speaker Pelosi want to complain that the process is not going to be fair. Look, they had the opportunity to call the witnesses they want. They denied the witnesses that we wanted to bring. And if they wanted witnesses, they could have called John Bolton and then gone through the process that they went through in the Clinton impeachment. If they uh, exerted executive privilege, you take it to the U.S. Supreme Court and let them decide whether privilege attaches or not. And they didn't do that because they wanted to rush through the process. So it's just fascinating to me now that the Democrats and the Speaker are going to sit down and say, oh, you know, we're this needs to be a fair process when they did anything but that to Republicans in the House. 
Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch, and uh, we're probably going to have a, a, a lot to talk about over the next uh, couple of weeks as they work their way through this. But I want to I want to shift gears a minute to a topic that probably I would say our listeners, uh, practically speaking, are more concerned about, and that's this craziness that's happening in women's sports, where you have men uh, who say that they they are women competing in women's sports and it's it's just it's like rocking the sports world you've uh, you've introduced legislation to address that tell our listeners about it yeah so the equality act came through the judiciary committee which i obviously said and so i filed an amendment that would make it clear that title nine funding would only go to to make it clear that only title nine funding would go to Women's sports where a biological woman was competing against a biological woman and not a biological male competing against a biological woman. And of course, I didn't pass in the Judiciary Committee, and then I did a motion to recommit on the floor on the same issue. But the bill that I have filed would make it clear that if it's women's sports, that only biological women could be competing against biological women. I mean, I think your listeners, and if you've watched some of the television programs, you've seen these stories from all over the country where you now have biological males beating women in women's sports, taking scholarships, uh, where other women now aren't able to get a scholarship because men beat them in women's sports. It's just outrageous to think that to me, and even even people in the far left, like uh, um, famous players are saying that it's not fair that women are having to compete against men in women's sports. I mean, it just, it makes sense. I mean, some are trying to present this as being insensitive that, uh, you know, people ought to be able to do what they, they want to do and uh, however they feel. But I mean, this is not only issues of uh, privacy and locker rooms, but it, it, it's blatantly unfair. Men are created differently than women, and to put them into sporting competition next to each other is is is, is again blatantly unfair. Yeah, we talked about it in committee too, but the, you know this is all scientific as well. I mean, males have 30 times more testosterone than females. That obviously ho- helps make men's bodies bigger and stronger. And so you're you're having men competing with biological females. And even one of the examples that I used in committee, where in the past there was a uh, boxing competition, um, it's uh, C.C. Telfer, a biological male who won three titles in the Northeast 10, 10 championships for women's track and received the most outstanding track athlete award. And then you had in boxing, you had uh, Phelan Fox, a biological male who shattered a female fighter's eye socket and gave her a concussion. I mean, it's just it's just it's crazy to me that we're even having to file bills on something like this. But that is the world that we live in today, unfortunately. Uh, you have a, a bill number yet that we can pass on to folks? Um, I do not have a bill number. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it doesn't have a bill number one. yet. But it is the uh, Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, and uh, it's going to need some some help. Uh, to get out of the House, obviously, because uh, the, the majority party there, Nancy Pelosi's party, uh, not supportive of this idea of fairness in sports. They're more aligned with the political correctness nonsense that's sweeping the country. Absolutely. 
All right, uh, Congressman Greg Stubbe, thanks so much for uh, stopping by. I appreciate what you're doing there on Capitol Hill, and uh, we'll stay in touch on this legislation as it uh, hopefully makes its way through. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. To find out more about the legislation, you can go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. It's the Protection of Women's and Girls in Sports Act. Act. Crazy that we're even having to talk about this kind of stuff. Well, that's a good segue into our next conversation after the break. What's wrong with American boys? A lot of focus on what's happening in masculinity. Should we be surprised? What's the way out? We talk about it with Dan Hart next. Don't go away. Tony Perkins. This is Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. If you'd like to uh, to email me, it's Tony at TonyPerkins.com. Love to hear from you. In fact, love to hear uh, from those of you who are joining us in our Stand on the Word, our two-year through the Bible uh, reading program. We're on if you and your family participating in that. Love to hear about that. Uh, email me, Tony at TonyPerkins.com. All right, in a recent edition of The Atlantic, writer Peggy Orstein adds to the growing volume of articles bemoaning the present state of boys and manhood. The piece echoes a number of important questions, but stops short of real answers. Joining me now with some of those answers is FRC's own managing editor, Dan Hart, who has written a piece entitled, What's Wrong with American Boys? Dan, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me, Tony. Uh, in your piece, you kind of examine what uh, Peggy has to say in The Atlantic, which is reflective of a number of articles that are out there, uh, talking about the problems uh, among boys and the, and the need for a shift in masculinity. Uh, you know, same kind of toxic masculinity discussion. So, what 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 uh, what does the what's the culture saying uh, that these young men need? Yeah, I mean, I went to you know public school myself uh, in the early two thousands, and you know I was involved in sports. I was exposed to kind of that bro culture that she talks about. You know, where guys use derogatory language to talk about girls and sort of bragging about their sexual conquests. You know, so. Um, and it was, what kind of struck me was that nothing's really changed, you know, in the last 20 years. Um, you know, despite the best efforts of progressive public education, uh, it's nothing's really changed, you know. And and uh, I think what's interesting is that, you know, she talks we need new and better models of masculinity, mm-hmm. you know. And But she never really defines what those models look like, you know. And But, you know, we as believers, I mean, we have a very clear model, uh, you know, of, of what manhood should be, and that's Jesus Christ, Right. I mean, you know, he said, and, and that's yeah. one of the reasons God puts fathers in families, is it not? Yeah, exactly. I mean, right for, to be that model. Yeah, exactly. And um, but what's interesting too, I, th- I just thought, if you know, look at Matthew five. I mean, Christ Himself says, "Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed ad- adultery with her in her heart." Right. So we have a very clear repudiation of the bro culture, right? Right, in, right in the Gospels, you know. But, you know, Ornstein, what's interesting is she never mentions religion or faith even once in the entire 7,500-word article. You point that out. It's a very lengthy article, and you point that out that there's the the absence of a discussion of a moral code. Exactly. And so in this post-modern culture where there, according to them, there is no transcendent truth, 
Should we be surprised with this outcome? Right, exactly. Um, no, we definitely should not. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's almost as if they, they somehow think that, that boys are going to magically absorb how to become a gentleman. From where? Right, right. It's, but they never actually talk about the actual belief system where the, these moral principles come from. And, you know, um, and, and, you know, we know we, they have to be modeled by the family. I mean, we, this is instinctual. And um, it has, it has, I mean, moral behavior has to be taught and learned. And if you, ne- if you never propose, you know, where these are going to come, these principles are going to come from, then it's like, what do they expect is going to happen, you know? So the what's woefully lacking here is a discussion of the critical role that fathers play, should be playing as the role model, but the reality is so many children, so many boys are growing up without fathers in the home or fathers that are emotionally absent. Yeah, exactly. And actually, that's that's one of very revealing aspect of the Ornstein's article, and it's very heartbreaking actually because she talks about, she interviews these bunch of different young men, and they all it's amazing they all say that they didn't they never felt comfortable talking with their own fathers about basic things like how you know how to deal with problems in school, you know about relationships, just about life in general, and I think it's it's kind of like um, it it should kind of call us out a little bit, you know, like I think. It should call us men who are fathers, especially of our sons. Like we need to develop solid relationships with our with our sons. It should it should be a primary, you know, aspect of of, of fatherhood. And, you know, to, to kind of just really develop, you know, the um, that genuineness there and be and intentional think, about it and be intentional about it exactly because it's like from our example, you know, the next generation is uh, is born, you know, and and I think you know looking back at what. Uh, Christ was, you know, he, he, the heroic virtue that he displayed, right? I think that should really appeal to us men. Like, if we should, you know, we should um, try to be self-sacrificial just as Christ was, you know? Dan, I mean, yeah. it looks like, as you've laid out in your response, looking at not just Ornstein's piece, but the, the overall conversations taking place out there. First, we, we have to recognize the moral code, the transcendent truth uh, that comes from God, who puts the boundaries there for men and women, for us as human beings, then there needs to be someone that models that from one generation to the next. That happens in the family unit, falls upon the shor- shoulders of the father. That's what is uh, woefully missing in our culture today, is a recognition of and the presence of those pa- uh, those uh, men, the fathers. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think boys and, and young men, they have a sensitive barometer when it comes to, like, genuineness, you know. And I think when they, when they see that their fathers are, um, you know, taking their faith seriously, that that really makes an impact on, yeah. on young men and young boys. No question. The research makes that abundantly clear. Dan, we're out of time. I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm going to encourage people to take a look at your piece. It's at uh, TonyPerkins.com, What's Wrong with American Boys? And, uh, and, and, and men and moms as well as dads, this speaks to one of the reasons we are doing our Stand Courageous conferences across the country to encourage men to be biblical men. And that includes the boys find out more about that, go to TonyPerkins.com because we've got several of those events coming up. One in Kernersville, North Carolina next week, and then Pensacola, Florida. All right, don't go away. Religious liberty around the world. What's happening? David Curry joins me next. Don't go away. 
What are you reading this winter? Looking for timely and original commentary on human dignity, marriage, and religious liberty? We've got you covered at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts, FRC staff, as well as outside contributors. Read about a wide variety of topics like crimes in the criminal state of China, how Game of Thrones mainstreams sexual exploitation, transgender regret, the rise of the detransitioners, and many more. Stand for truth by staying informed at frcblog.com. A strong case can now be made that China has become one of the most totalitarian states in human history. The Chinese Communist Party restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale, targeting those of every faith, especially Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong. The Chinese Communist Party's movement against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. The Chinese Communist Party's consistent abuses of human rights prove that it cannot be treated just like any other country. The United States must address these human rights and religious freedom violations in their trade and diplomatic dealings with China. For more information about the human rights crisis in China, visit frc.org slash China. That's frc.org slash China. In the U.S., the rate of chemical abortions is at an all-time high. This increase is being driven by the abortion industry, which wants abortion pills available through the pharmacy in the mail, making do-it-yourself abortions the future of the abortion industry. Abortion advocates once claimed that legal abortion would prevent back-alley abortions, but the health complications that often result from chemical abortion are eerily similar to those of back-alley abortions. For more information, visit frc.org slash chemical abortion. Last year, my brother Josh, a 37... This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T Perkins. All right, for those uh, who are regular listeners to Washington Watch, you're familiar with the topic of religious persecution that's taking place around the globe. We talk a lot about it because I think it's critical. I think it's, it's fundamentally um, important that believers in the United States understand what's happening around the world. Because if we don't address it elsewhere, it comes here. If we, if we ignore religious persecution, it'll be knocking at our door. In fact, we've seen some elements of that here in this country. It's not uh, to the point where people are being shot and blown up and uh, executed, but that's happening in other parts of the world. Well, today uh, on Capitol Hill, Open Doors USA released their latest report on religious persecution worldwide. It was their 2020 World Watch List. It is an, uh, an excellent resource that uh, that I use, and Open Doors USA is an excellent organization which uh, our family supports because of the work that they do, not only tracking religious persecution, but also helping the persecuted. Joining me now in studio to discuss the 2020 World Watch List is the president and CEO of Open Doors USA, Dr. David Curry. David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, uh, again, appreciate the fine work that you do at Open Doors USA on behalf of religious freedom, uh, because that's what we're talking about here is the right of every human being to uh, to practice, to live by their faith. 
And it's still a very troubled world because a lot of people don't have that right. In fact, they're losing their lives for trying to uh, to exercise that freedom. Yeah, every year I, I'm, I keep hoping that we'll have some signs that this is receding, this persecution of Christians. But all of the driving forces, Islamic extremism, these dictatorships that are oppressing uh, the expression of faith, all of those things are still in place. There, there are silver linings. Faith is growing Deeper in these places where, where people are being persecuted for serving Jesus, um, communities are, are getting smaller but stronger. I think it's 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 causing people to have a, a reflection on the cost of faith. All of those things I think can be valuable. But the reality is, it's more violent. There's more pressure. There's more oppression, specifically against Christians and their and their expression of faith. Well, I want to let, let's start with the top 10 and then I want to jump into some of the more obvious uh, countries where things have grown um, darker. Uh, but let's start let's start with your uh, your top 10 list. Well, North Korea is at the top 18 years in a row. Very little has changed. And while there's been discussions with North Korea, it hasn't lessened the pressure on on the Christians within the community. It is a significant Christian community. It is deeply underground. But there are many Christians there, and they're facing every kind of pressure you could imagine. We think there's 50 to 60. We're, we're sort of vague on this because we don't know exactly. A thousand Christians in labor camps, people who own a Bible suspected of being a Christian or caught t- talking about their faith. Yeah, it's illegal to have a Bible. It's totally illegal right. to have a Bible. That will, get mean, you, that will get you sent to a, a camp. Yeah, and the reality is to be to be registered as a Christian or to be thought of as a Christian means you are the number one enemy of the state in their tiered system of enemies of the state. And, and North Korea is such a closed society in terms of getting information in and out. It, it's got to be difficult to, to get the information um, that, uh, in part, that you need to track what's happening in North Korea. Well, one of our unique skills is to be in and connected with the church, in the indigenous church in these areas. But And that's how we're getting this feedback, is, is finding out from the grassroots what's happening there. I think there are incremental steps that can be made if North Korea wants to be part of the international community, I think letting the Red Cross, the State Department representatives on religious freedom, into the country to see the conditions of the camps. Let's right. start there. Some incremental steps that could be made, I think, that would really make the world sense that they are serious about about coming into the community of nations. I'm not sure they, uh, they're that interested in coming in. That, that is a dark, dark place. Yes. Uh, Afghanistan. Uh, number two on your list? Well, Afghanistan and Somalia, two and three, and you could really say Libya, these are largely you know, failed states in, to a large degree. You have governments, but they only control the capital cities, and so you're left with groups like al-Qaeda, uh, al-Shabaab. Uh, al- these are uh, people of the same ideology if from a different name, and it, it means that any expression of Christian faith will usually face a swift demise in Somalia, not uncommon for believers to be beheaded. There's no trial, there's no kangaroo court, anything like that. Um, So this is where Islamic extremism really shows itself in that top 10 and even beyond. So many of these countries, that's the factor. It may not be the government itself, but either the government is powerless or or impotent to respond to these non-state actors within their boundaries. Uh, Pakistan. 
Pakistan. Well, we saw, you know, let's let's highlight one good thing. Asia Bibi was let go this year. Hopefully right. that will be something that other people will remember as an example of why these blasphemy laws around the world are so difficult and so dangerous because a vigilante justice of that kind means people like her can be sentenced to death. Now, she's out now, obviously, and we're, we're grateful for it. I'm sure you and others played a part in that. Uh, but Pakistan is still a very difficult uh, place to be a follower of Jesus. But there is an established church there. It's a strong church, and they love, love God. They're practicing their faith, but under great pressure. It's, from the data and the research I've seen, they, tend to, they are trending in the wrong direction. I don't, I'm, I'm, you're right. We've seen some good. There was a positive thing with Siabibi, uh, but overall, um, it, it's, it's a very troubling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next on your list. Well, then we get into Eritrea. Eritrea is one of those countries, when you talk about the brutality, it's an Islamic government. And I got a briefing on some of their labor camps, just to give you an idea. They have these really primitive labor camps, one of which is in a hot desert in the north in the country where they're keeping 40 Christians prisoner in a cave. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's happening in Eritrea, and it's very troubling. It's hard to know how to reach out to them because they've isolated themselves from so many uh, uh, normalized government relationships. But Eritrea, and it's not on a lot of people's radar because it's it's a a small country, but it's, there's a lot of brutality. Sudan is one where it's number seven. There's been a turnover in the government. We could see right. some improvement. We don't know yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually optimistic that Sudan could make a turn. Uh, I met uh, a, about a month ago with the prime minister from there. In fact, uh, I'll be going to Sudan sometime this year. And so they're, they're wanting to actually remove some of the, uh, the blasphemy laws, some of the laws that have been used in uh, these countries to um, really persecute religious minorities. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. I would love to see that, that be the case and, and see that drop. Then you're into, to Yemen. Uh, Yemen is one of these countries where there's a lot of extremism that is taught there in some of these universities. Uh, the bin Ladens and, and others, you know, had connections with Yemen. It's a very poor country. It's been kept uh, poor and all of the civil war is an issue. But the Christian communities are, are are meeting in small groups, but they're under tremendous pressure, and um, and is so, something definitely to pray about. Number nine is Iran, and it really ties into China, in in my view. Really? China's number twenty three, but here's the issue in China: strong surveillance presence, a use of a social score and a technology in a way that's never been seen before. And they're overlapping those two things, so they can oppress very efficiently now in China. I think this is going to be the biggest issue worldwide over the next five years because of their technological advancement. But now China is selling that technology to Iran. So Iran wanting to raid, you know, always raiding the house churches, the house church movement there is still strong. I believe the people of Iran, from everything I know, love America, love Americans, curious about the gospel. But this regime is really pressing down on churches, and that's what makes them number nine on our list. Uh, That's fascinating. I was not aware that uh, Iran was getting that technology from China. I know China is now, as they have perfected it, they are exporting it. So uh, it makes sense that you would see regimes like that picking it up. My concern is that we're going to see it, uh, you know, in the northern hemisphere, uh, and we're going to see it probably... uh, well, at least we'll see it down in 
possibly Venezuela, Cuba. This is the, those are the type of regimes that we yeah. would see that would pick that up. Yeah, China obviously is, is very sophisticated about it, but they're also proactive about selling it. Uh, what I foresee as as the comparison for people is to see what's happening with the Uyghur Muslims in the northwest part of China. They're monitoring them. They can't go to mosque without, in many cases, doing facial recognition. All of those things are in place for these 100 million Christians in China. And I think that that's clearly where it's headed. That's why they're closing right. down house yeah. churches that won't give facial recognition technology. And we'll see where it's headed, but we're calling attention to it, as, Very, as are you as well. Yeah, well, and the uh, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom will be holding a hearing later in the year on the use of technology for the repression of religious freedom. So we're, in fact, just doing a lot of the fact-finding on that right now. Uh, Dr. David Curry, my uh, guest, he is the president and CEO of Open Doors USA, talking about uh, the 2020 World Watch List that was just released today on uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, David, you just mentioned we were just talking about China. Let's talk about China um, because of the vast size of China and the totalitarian government that is there. It is the biggest abuser in terms of the population that is suppressed than uh, any than other country. It, it really is. And I was just there, I think, uh, three weeks or so ago, right before Christmas anyway. Well, I've lost track of where we're at. But uh, what I saw shocked me because I had been there just three and a half years previous, and the, the level of intrusiveness of the surveillance inside the churches was beyond what I even anticipated, and I was getting messages from our field teams to see what they're doing with that, to see what they're doing with the facial recognition. And their promise to meld their, that with the social scores is really spooky. So to unpack that just a little bit for us, uh, on uh, you talk about inside the churches, this uh, surveillance. What, what does that look like? Well, you, you know, usually here in the States, what, when you have a camera inside of a church, you usually have a pastor preening on a stage, and that's what that's all about. In this case, the cameras are turned around. They're watching the congregation. So this goes like to a central... Uh, this is communist. Com- this is the Communist Party, the CCP. They're watch- watching you. How many times have you been to church? They outlaw in the three self church kids under the age right. of eighteen. So if you bring your child to church. That's a deduction on your social score, which means you may have restrictions in travel. Certainly, many parents in China are worried that they're not going to be able to send their kids to the best universities. That's where this is headed. Also affects your re- potentially retirement. Yeah, it? All, all of those things. Everything. So it will be a means of oppressing people's religious expression in in very real ways. And and I see. The, the, here's why it's a problem. I think it's a blueprint. It's not just about China. It's the blueprint for, for future persecution in Iran, in places, uh, regimes around the world. And China's happy to, to propagate it. It's going to be the roadmap. That's why we're taking the time to, to really talk about this, even though, in a sense, number 23, there are places worse. There's just a ton of people affected by it, and it's going to happen more and more. But we're continuing to see in, in China um, there, there is a growth of the church, uh, more people coming to faith. Uh, the depth of the church is taking place there. But the the my observation and the reports that I'm seeing is that this repression is intensifying. 
Yeah, I think that there are, uh, when I was talking with church leaders in China, the sense was this is going to deepen uh, the the faith of, of the church. But it's clearly broken into pieces. Uh, large churches, 200, 300, 500, now are meeting in groups of 30, 40, and 50 again, and in some cases smaller because the Chinese right. government is watching. They don't want groups larger than that. What, what is it that the Communist Party is afraid of when it comes to the church? Well, there are 90 million members of the Communist Party in China, and I would dare say, I don't know exactly, but not all of them enthusiastic members. But there's 100 million Christians who are passionate about their faith in Jesus, and I think that's the fear. And obviously, President Xi has uh, a desire to roll back to what I call the state-as-God agenda that the Soviets began with, and he's headed that direction. But it didn't work for the Soviets. Why would they want to be pursuing a failed policy where it leaves this moral vacuum uh, when they do actually have a, a fairly decent uh, you know, e- economy, uh, but with a moral vacuum, it, it's not going to go anywhere? Yeah, I, mean, I think his sense is you see him cracking down on corruption. Maybe that's him cracking down on people who don't agree with him, and corruption is the cover. But maybe the sense is if we can monitor and control this population through technology, then we can create a utopia. That wouldn't be unique to President Xi. That's that's been the dream, if if the even if it's been the opposite of right. what has happened in reality. Uh, David, we're almost out of time. Very quickly, what do Christians here in the United States need to be doing? Well, we need everybody to be praying. I would love to see people pray daily, even you know at a minimum weekly for the persecuted yes. church. But adopt a country, a, a cause, a person. Uh, there's a president, uh, Pastor Yi, in in China who's right. been arrested for ten right. years. Let's pray. Right. Let's talk. Let's advocate for these individuals. Uh, and it'll make a big difference. David, as always, appreciate you coming by. I appreciate the work of Open Doors USA. Thank you. And, folks, I would encourage you to pray. I pray every day for the persecuted. But also, I would challenge you to do more. Stand with organizations like Open Doors USA and Voice of the Martyrs and others who are standing with the persecuted there in their countries. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. Until next time. I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 